Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello everyone, I'm Ani Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three-part spirit, one part rational mind, add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. A hearty hello to everyone out there. Thanks for joining us for another round of Cosmic Cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's polarized, poopy butt little world. And we try to do this objectively, putting aside preconceived notions and assumptions, rising above the contradictory rhetoric of partisan politics. Our goal is to let the spirit inhabit the human, to see the world from a higher vantage point, to let our higher selves guide our human selves, to smash the myth of duality. Now, this doesn't mean we ignore the dysfunction going on in our world today, far from. It doesn't mean we spend all day meditating in the lotus position uh, or in the potus position, for that matter. You know, as important as meditation is, and it is, I do it twice a day. What we need today is a goodly dose of honesty. We need to look at the world we have co-created through our spiritual alignment or lack thereof and decide what we want to do about it, because clearly something's not quite right. So this show exists primarily to encourage we the people to connect the dots and to see through the deep state's relentless campaign of perceptual engineering. It's time to reclaim our minds, open our hearts, and to move our civilization into the light. And we do this, on this show anyway, by answering your questions. So keep them coming, please. Let's remind each other how to debate, how to discuss sensitive subjects with respect. The purpose of debate is to expand consciousness for the betterment of mankind, to explore new ideas. A debate is not an argument to be won. It's an arena for collective growth. And it seems we have forgotten that. And that's why we're in the mess today. That's part of it anyway. So, you know, it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? But what's adventure all about, eh? And incarnations on physical realms are designed to be glorious adventures. Right now, in this country anyway, and uh, several others too, it's not so much an adventure as it is Toad's Wild Ride on crack cocaine and cheap whiskey. Uh, two things I would never recommend anybody try. So keep those questions coming and let's make all things metaphysical mainstream for a change. So send your emails to me. Oni at oniavidician.com and snail mail to Cosmic Oni, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA, because that's where I live and that's where I pick up my mail. 
So before we get into the Q&A, the question and answer, I just want to shout out and thank Leslie for popping into my office the other day with a lovely gift of two martini glasses. Woohoo! I mean, I'm really glad you enjoy the show and I'm truly touched by the gift. I want you to know that from now on, these are the official cocktail glasses of the Metaphysical Martini Show. They're lovely. They're solid. They're not flimsy and... um they're not, they're not too feminine like most uh, martini glasses are. This has got just a lovely stem to it. And, uh, oh, bottoms up, Leslie. Many thanks for your thoughtfulness. I'm really enjoying them. All right. Well, I'll take a sip, actually, now that I've, uh, I've thanked you. Yummo. Okay. All right. Uh, let's get to it, shall we? What is first on the agenda? Always question and answer. Whose question shall we pick? Yeah. So the first question is from T.F., who lives in Vancouver, Washington, just up the road from me a bit. T.F. says, Dear Arnie, a friend of mine attended your presentation on Deep State last week. She said you spoke out against sanctuary cities, open borders and illegal immigration. May I ask why? It doesn't sound very shaman-like to me. Hmm... Well, TF, uh, if you had attended my presentation on Deep State, which was very well done, by the way, um, my comments would not be taken out of context and they would make perfect sense to you. So may I suggest you do a little research into Deep State, New World Order, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030. And while you're at it, you might want to look into the workings of the Bilderberg Group. The, you know, Council for Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, also United Nations, World Trade Organization. You might want to look into NAFTA um, and all other think tanks and committees dedicated to the erosion of our intellect um, and also our individual and national sovereignty. So, my darling, I can't fully answer your question here because it would take the entire two hour presentation to just explain the basics to you. And there are very many complexities with these issues, sanctuary cities, open borders, illegal immigration. A great many illegal immigrants are displaced by chronic drug-related gang warfare, which is supported by Deep State and its dark cabal of operatives within various U.S. security agencies. Shan't say the... Shan't say the initials, probably not a good idea, but, you know, if you think about it, you'll figure it out. And the same also, of course, applies to the foreign wars, the ones where the U.S., a country that I love, by the way, liberated other countries who were not in need of liberating, but just simply refused to cooperate with the Rothschild banking cartel, because that's really what most wars are about here. So does this mean that the U.S. is responsible for these people? It's complex. I mean, it wasn't the official government that caused the problem, was it? It was the power behind the government, the establishment, deep state, cabal, whatever the heck we're calling the bastards these days. So how do we help the people without exposing and prosecuting the shadow government? You know, people don't want to be displaced. I think the time where America was, uh, you know, all blue jeans and Coca-Cola and rock and roll. I think that time has gone. People are in the know now. People don't want to be displaced. They want, for the most part. They would much rather be in their own countries immersed in their own culture, but wars and other crises which are created by deep state 
not just for the takeover of um, resources, oil and opium, just being some examples, but, you know, it's done to reduce the number of indigenous people in all the areas under deep state control. And they do this to dilute the native bloodlines and disperse cultural commonalities, the goal being to eventually have no discernible national identity, at which point they can say, and this is just an example, so don't get your knickers in a twist, they'll say something along the lines of, oh, well, since there is no longer any sense of Englishness in England, let's not call it that anymore and designate it as fishing colony number one B in the new world order empire. You know, it's complex because it requires total transparency and stripped down to the bones accountability, exposing and eradicating deep state ideology. Now, open borders are a part of that agenda. Now, No American I know would deny food, water and shelter to anyone in need. That is not the issue here. The issue here is that we're constantly pulling people out of the water as they drown. And what we should be doing is stopping them before they jump in and get carried away by the flood. I cannot say this enough to all of you, my darlings, TF and the whole world out there. Unless you understand new world order. Nothing that happens in the world arena will make any sense to you. So I urge you to start there. Now, another point to ponder, and it's a practical point. We have in the USA today well over half a million homeless Americans. We have over 35 million Americans living below the poverty line and 44 million uninsured. I'm one of the uninsured Try getting any kind of medical insurance at my age. You have to be a millionaire. So my point is here, if we can't keep our own house in order, if we can't house and feed those already here, what makes anyone think we can open our doors to help others? It's arrogant and and ridiculous in the same way as we don't have our house in order here in America in so many ways. And yet we go and we liberate other countries and tell them how they're supposed to live their lives, where our infrastructure is collapsing. Now, of course, there is money enough for everyone and all of it. It's just that Deep State has funneled resources away from domestic infrastructure into their global agenda. All you globalists out there, listen up. You know, it's in much the same way that they're outsourcing work that should be done by accountable U.S. government officials to not-so-accountable private sector firms, who, by the way, are given high security clearances. You know, I don't know about you, but outsourcing high security government stuff to private sector in these numbers, it's not a good idea. So I urge you all not to buy into the emotion-driven mainstream media narrative on who does what and why. Instead, Conduct your own research and see the big picture and connect the dots and reclaim your minds and rewrite the future, your future, our future. There's so much more to it than this. When you say things like, oh, you I'm I'm against open borders and whatever makes me sound like a racist. And I'm not. My race ancestry is Armenian. I was born on the island of Cyprus. We were immigrants to England. I'm a legal, lawful resident alien in America. You know, clearly I'm okay with multiculturalism. Okay. And as for being shaman-like, do you know many shamans? (laughs) What are they like? You know, okay, no disrespect, I am teasing you a little bit, but my job as a spiritual teacher is to help us make sense of the world we have co-created. 
and when necessary to bring us back into alignment. So telling the truth, tackling sensitive topics, well, you know, when necessary. I don't think that makes me unshaman-like, in my humble opinion. Quite the contrary. I do this because I care. If I didn't care, I'd retire to a little cottage on the coast and drink sherry all day long and giggle while I watch the human race slowly but surely become assimilated into one corporate culture. So, you know, let's put everything in perspective. Um, I thank you for the question, TF. Uh, and I, you know what? Since you only live in Vancouver, Washington, it's about an hour from me. I hope to see you at our next conversation. Introduce yourself and I'll give you an extra piece of chocolate. All right, um, moving on. Here is another question, and this one is from Judy M., who lives in Tacoma, Washington. Judy says, I heard you mention that you often work with mental illness. Can sociopaths be cured, and do they go to heaven? Interesting question, Judy. Um, Being a sociopath is a personality disorder, It's not a mental illness, and it can't be treated with medication. In my experience, the part that connects them to the soul spark spark is blocked, and that prevents access to empathy. And without that, well, your moral compass is off kilter, isn't it? And everything is superficial, and every interaction is for the benefit of of the sociopath only. You know, they have tremendous difficulty with interpersonal skills, interpersonal skills uh, in interactions with other people. They're always going to be you know, superficial, incapable of a deep relationship, a meaningful relationship of making an honest connection. They can, for the most part, be quite charming and, and act as if they care, but it is a facade. So by definition, they're really antisocial um, and they tend to be pathological liars and they use deception to get what they want their friendships, their partnerships, all of that is meaningless. But it's not a neurological pathway. It's a personality disorder. So if you lack all empathy, the main thing there is that you can't view things from another's perspective or care about how someone else might be feeling. So you've got no conscience and you've got no remorse and no ability. You're disconnected from the ability to touch that divine part of you, which, of course, is always there and is indeed the only part of us that is actually real. The other problem with most sociopaths is, well, their behavior is quite unpredictable. They tend to be impulsive. You can't rely on them. Um, you can't, you know, you can't really deal with someone who doesn't understand or accept responsibility for their actions. So, you know, they're just antisocial, and I guess that's really what defines them more than anything else. They feel very alone in the world, very apart from society. Um, consequently, any rules or social mores we make here mean nothing to them. And quite a few of them do end up having, uh, you know, criminal records, whether it's, you know, juvenile delinquency or, or whatever. Now, I've got to say this because, uh, you know, I'm always... I'm always using the term sociopath scumbags. I I don't apply that to all sociopaths. Not all sociopaths are created equal. I mean the ones that have lost empathy uh, and rule the world. Those are the ones that I'm talking about. So I have to say, just being a sociopath, it doesn't make you evil per se. But having said that, a great many people in the corporate upper strata are sociopaths. Very clever, 
very power hungry, very dangerous individuals. Um, and I have to say, you know, a little shaman disclaimer here that since the cosmic spark within us is the only true part of us, we must remind ourselves that all disorders, all diseases, dysfunctions, they're errors in coding. When the knowledge of our true nature is the primary vibration within our energy field, all errors can be overwritten. And the original pre-embodiment template of perfection can be reinstalled. Okay. But I have no experience with healing sociopaths because they do not believe anything is wrong with them. So they would never come to me for counseling. And that's the main reason I have no experience healing, dealing with sociopaths. So I deal mainly with the familial fallout. Now, do they go to heaven? Well, actually, everyone goes to the realm that we call heaven. Uh, the residents apparently call it nirvana. Um, heaven is a multi-layered environment where everyone, regardless of their physical experience, is cared for with unconditional love. Well, actually, hang on, maybe not everyone. Um, everyone has unconditional love, but not everyone goes to heaven. There is no hell, of course. That's a religious control construct. But there is a small, very dense realm near our planet where those who, after repeated incarnations, have perfected their sociopathic persona and caused great harm to others. Your murderous dictators and genocidal maniacs. Those beings are contained in this area until creator, not our local universal God, but source creator itself, removes them and reabsorbs them back into the source pod, some people call the uncreated mess. <clears throat> the best advice I can give you about sociopaths, stay away from them. If they're in your family, stay away from them. They're just uh, bad juju and you can't negotiate with someone who has no empathy. Okay, I have a postcard here from a, a pretty little town, uh, or it looks like from the postcard. It's called Richmond Hill in Georgia. And I can't read your name. Um, your writing is actually worse than mine, and that's something, because uh, Sanskrit scholars are studying my handwriting. Uh, my best guess is your name is Craig. And uh, anyway, you're from Richmond Hill, and you know who you are. So Craig says... My uncle will not watch television. As he says, the government sends subliminal messages through the screen telling us to kill each other and to buy more popcorn and also to take out equity loans, equity loans on our homes, which are fully paid for. Do you think this is true? Oh, just give me a moment. <laughs> Wait, give me a moment, please. I'm so sorry. No disrespect, please. Forgive me for laughing. Um, it's just that I had this vision of people going on killing sprees and then going out for popcorn and then discussing equity loans. So I'm sure these three things are not connected in your mind, uh, Craig. OK, just take a moment here and breathe. Uh, have a sip of my martini and I will answer this question. OK. Well, a television is an audiovisual portal into the home. The content we receive through this portal is, of course, designed to affect us in one way or another. Messaging. Um, well, advertising is, of course, the main culprit, invoking rage, fear and desire. 
and exciting the already overly anxious bosom of the masses, so to speak. As for subliminal messages, Craig, I have no doubt whatsoever that they are used. I suspect that they're used mainly for the purchase, consume, repeat brigade to encourage continuous consumption. But there is evidence, quite a lot of evidence, actually, that it is used by the perceptual engineers for more nefarious purposes. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, television is the perfect way to beam whatever type of message you want, subliminal or otherwise, into the homes of billions of people, altering their perception and influencing their buying decisions and subtly regulating their personal habits. This is far too much power for Big Brother to pass up. So I'm going to have to say, Craig, your uncle is on to something. I think it would be a good idea to limit mainstream television time. You know, having the news on all day, the same words over and over again, the same stories repeated over and over again until you believe them to be true because that's all you're hearing. And all those commercials invoking rage, fear, desire, need, greed. You know, let's be selective with our television time because the constant streaming will influence our conscious dreaming. And Craig, thank you for that question. All right. Here's an email from a chap called David, who's in Melbourne, Australia. Good day to you, David. All right. David says, Arnie, that's me. Any news on the Nasara front? When will the next economic catastrophe take place? We keep reading about the white hats working behind the scenes and that the black hats are running scared, but we aren't really seeing any evidence of it, are we? I mean, it's frustrating. What say you and those ET peeps and other world beings you chat with? Okay. Well, Dave, I agree with you. It is very frustrating. Nasara, by the way, for anyone not in the know, stands for National Economic Stability and Recovery Act, uh, which was a set of proposed economic reforms penned in the 1990s, I think. I can't remember by whom. Uh, it was done to more fairly redistribute wealth. And I believe Bill Clinton signed it into law October 2000, and it was scheduled to be announced on the morning of September 11th, 2001. Guess what happened on that day? Oops. So if Nasara was enacted, <clears throat> I think our jails would be filled with politicians and lobbyists, which is a very good place for them, actually, because it would return this country to the original constitution of the United States of America. Right now, it's the corporate United States. Anyway, plenty of information out there for you to research on Nasara. I'm not going to belabor the point uh, here. So, Dave... The White Hats are not about to share the details of their covert activities with the likes of me and you because, well, mate, it wouldn't be covert then, would it? You know, so what I do know is the Dark Hats, the deep state, they are panicked and they're panicked by the slow but sure awakening of we, the people, the masses. Now, do I have evidence of this? How do I know they're being panicked? Well, you know. To me, things like their massive push to roll out an obscene mandatory vaccination schedule for all ages and their plans, they do have them, to restrict freedom of movement 
and access to education and other services for those who don't comply. Now, the CD says, CDC says it cannot force vaccinations, but it can force compliance. What does that even mean? I think you can read between the lines on that one. So the dark hats are behind on their schedule to cull the population. They left it too late. That's what happens when you get greedy. You know, how much money can you create? How much power can you commandeer? And now everyone's waking up. Not everyone. So hurry up, people. But a lot of people are waking up and it's making them panicked. So they're rolling out this, this type of agenda. Um, it also has to be said, I'll just say at this moment, um, deep state. I want to talk about the deep state that's within the left wing. Um, deep state is an ideology and neither left nor right. Okay. It's tendrils of evil run through all parties. But at this time, I think there's a little bit more establishment minion craziness in the left corner than in the right corner. And the left corner minions are crazy nervous to eject Trump right now because whether you like it or not, my darlings, he is part of a group sworn to expose and destroy deep state. And I will talk about that more about, about that another time. Um, but when I say the truth is stranger than fiction, this is a good example. I get a lot of questions on that. So back to Dave's question. What I have been told as recently as last week, Dave, is this. Do not accumulate new debt. Pay off as much debt as you can, and if necessary, consolidate debt and negotiate lower rates of interest. I did that, by the way, and for any of you who have high interest credit cards or whatever, all you have to do is call them up and tell them you want a lower interest rate, and chances are, unless you're terrible with your credit rating, they will give it to you, but they're not allowed to suggest it to you. You have to ask them. So I saved a chunk of change recently by doing that. I also ask my ET friends and other peeps about infrastructure collapse. Uh, well, it seems that most of it for now, it's going to be in California. And by golly, what is going on in California? It is crazy. What plans do the Rothschilds have for California? They are burning it all up. And it seems that their laser weapon agenda is being exposed. So let's watch that very carefully. You know, we've had evidence of that for some time now. A couple of years ago, even when the fires first started, it just they burnt too hot. There was a problem there. Anyway, infrastructure collapse. Most of the damage is going to be in California for now. For the rest of us, we're advised to take sensible precautions, the type you would take anyway. For example, a full 30 days worth of food, water supplies on hand, 30 days worth of anything you need to sustain life in your emergency kits, um, medication included, of course. And the usual sensible things like make sure your vehicles are in good shape, always have a full tank of gas, blah, blah. Um, anyway, that's encouraging as my peeps don't foresee any major threat or life uh, threat to life or limb on a national scale. Um, but I'll keep asking. I think I go back again to chat with them um, in a week or so in just under a week. So thanks for the question, Dave. Take heart. Courage, mon ami. Things are happening behind the scenes, but they're effective because they're behind the scenes. Okay. Uh, and I have one more question here. I've got actually lots more questions and we can come back to them once we get through the rest of the agenda because we all know that Arnie Avedisian is a terrible timekeeper. Um, but here's a quick one from somebody who says his name is Curious George. You cheeky little monkey, you George. Um, George says, Hey, I'm new to all this, but it resonates. 
And what I would like to do is, can I have some tips on where to start researching things that people call conspiracy theories, which I'm rapidly believing are not? Um, well, good for you, George. Uh, you know, uh, you can't. Conspiracy theory is a is a term in. I think it was designed to insult us and demean us and ridicule us. But uh, how would you know it's a conspiracy unless you had the the mind power to theorize? So. I'm going to, I could sit and I could give you a long list, but let me start. Let me recommend one little book for you, and it's a really good starting point. And it's actually called Conspiracy Theory 101, A Researcher's Starting Point. And it's by someone called Ava Catherine Marcella Fails, F-A-I-L-S. And it's a sort of a 101 on, oh, how do I want to get deeper into this? And it tells you where to go, gives you a lot of websites. Uh, I can't agree 100% with everything in it, but I would say it's 85% a very good primer for you. Um, and the other book I think we should get is Nancy Hopkins' um, Cosmic Reality book, which is available as a book on Amazon and also on PDF, because she's got interesting information there that other people do not have. All right. So thanks for the questions, everyone. Keep it coming. We humans are very interesting, aren't we? I mean, we fell asleep. We let the economic elite take over our lives. We refuse to accept the fact, you know, that they had taken over our lives for the longest time. And when we started the awakening process, we cried like babies for someone to rescue us. You know, ETs come and rescue us. All sorts of people come and rescue us. Well, darlings, that's not really how it works, though, is it? It's our planet and our reality and we are the ones that are going to have to fix it. And we're finding that out now, aren't we? Our planet, our future, we the people need to reclaim our minds, our countries, our planet, and see the bigger picture behind world events. Because if we don't see the bigger picture, nothing is going to make sense. It's all a quarter truth being painted blue or red, depending on who's paying the media propagandists. Well, as usual, a very light-hearted group of questions, but I'm glad you're all waking up. Let's lighten up a bit. I guess that wouldn't be a bad idea. Hey, so what's next on our agenda? Ah, I think it's time for the Wizard's Gizzard, a little spiritual ritual that you can make habitual. And indeed, today's Wizgiz is all about laughter and lightening up. Awakening can be a very challenging process, can't it? I mean, it's not all cupcakes and unicorn, you know, unicorn glitter, Disney critters dancing in the forest while you show off your latest pink satin gown, which probably is not the best choice for a walk in the woods anyway. You know, waking up to the reality, the realization that the truth is stranger than fiction, well, it's painful. And reprogramming and reclaiming our minds from the sociopath scumbag spin doctor's narrative, that takes courage. It's very difficult to be the one that speaks the truth in a world that has been trained to conform and consume Realignment, it's all about persistence, diligence and focus, and occasionally a little bit of incense and hocus pocus. 
but mainly the former, persistence, diligence, and focus. So today, let's focus on making laughter a part of our daily ritual. Why? Well, heck, laughter releases the steam valve on our emotions, making sure the pot doesn't build up too much pressure and explode. So many people these days are exploding because we don't know how to manage our emotions. Sometimes you need to cry a lot. Sometimes you need to laugh a lot. Well, Arnie, you might say, I don't have anything to laugh about. My life is dull. It's dreary. It's dismal and hopeless. Well, my darlings, if that's the case, please do something about it. You don't need a reason to laugh. You just need to start the action of laughter and your entire mood will change. Now, the easiest way to do this, in my humble opinion, is to watch a video on something called laughter yoga. Now, there's plenty of them on YouTube and probably other platforms, too. So how it works is the laughter guru, the chief laughter person, <clears throat> stands in front of the group and starts laughing for no particular reason. He or she just starts laughing. And before you know it, the whole group is laughing. And in a few short minutes, everyone's in a good mood. Everyone's relaxed, receptive, convivial and fully conscious. Now, the thing to remember here is that you're not laughing because you heard a joke or because you're being entertained in some way. This kind of spontaneous laughter is an exercise to open the heart, to release the pent up emotions to remind us of how it felt when we were carefree children without all the responsibilities of adulthood, which is grossly overrated in my opinion. Laughter yoga is there to allow us to become comfortable with self-expression. You know, if it appeals to you, you might see if there's a local laughter yoga group in your area and make friends with them. Make friends with people who want to laugh because spontaneous laughter helps the spirit to inhabit the human you know, I did invite a few of my friends here to laugh with me today and they just laughed at that and they wouldn't come, which annoys me somewhat, actually. But never mind, I'll take that up with them later. So I can't really demonstrate to you what it's like to laugh with a group because I don't have a group. But go to YouTube, take a look at those videos. It starts with, um, you know, a little bit of deep breathing, a little bit of stretching. And then the laughter guru leads you in the laugh. I mean, sometimes you laugh so hard that you cry. And one or two of the laughter gurus actually have you um, get on the floor and, uh, you know, engage in childlike movements. Um, I'm British, so I don't actually do that. But some of you might be really into that. But I say don't go to bed until you've had a jolly good laugh. It relaxes all the muscles. It's a good cardiovascular exercise. And with all the craziness that's going on in the world, Let's just remind ourselves that it's all an illusion and all something that we can shift perspective and do something about. And that life is a glorious adventure, not a hard slog. And I like laughter yoga for that. So go away and laugh and let me know how it goes. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. All right. So what's next on our list here today? Time seems to be going very quickly today. Okay. Oh, yeah. Ah, oh, yes. Wonderful. I like this. Now it's time for Plato Chips, where we quote a philosopher of note. 
Now, I've had quite a few letters from you saying how much you enjoy this segment. Thank you. Thank you. And more than a few people have asked me to, instead of featuring a particular philosopher, would I one day please explain what philosophy is and the major themes within it? Who were the first philosophers and why is Socrates considered to be the greatest philosopher of all time? Hmm. Well, fair enough. Uh, I think I can probably pull that off, but I might need a drink. So hold on there. Um, oh, God, that's good. Oh, God, I love martinis. All right. So let's try and take those in no particular order because I've had my martini now. So what is philosophy? Well, philosophy means love of wisdom. If we didn't want to seek out knowledge to gain wisdom, we wouldn't be interested in cosmic evolution. It's our love of wisdom that drives us to ask the questions. Who are we? Where do we come from? What the heck are we supposed to be doing once we get here? So philosophy explores those fundamental questions. I mean, in a sense, then, I suppose you could say philosophy is a social science. Uh, and it is, but it's so much more because the philosophical mindset is actually applied to every aspect of our lives. Uh, ethics in law and government, for example. And without the philosophy of logic, uh, you wouldn't have the advancement of mathematics well into advanced computer programming, which is getting into quantum computer programming now. So through philosophy, we are able to explore concepts such as, is there a God? And if so, what is it? We can explore consciousness, knowledge, reality, morality, religion, politics, economics, linguistics, and the most important of all, is the cronut superior to the donut? I mean, everything comes from our analysis process of, you know, philosophy. So we learn to question everything and attempt to make sense of it for the betterment of mankind. Thank you, philosophy. So what was the next question? Oh, yeah. What are the main themes running through it? Well, um, metaphysics, which would be the study of the universe and whatever the heck we think reality is. Then, of course, there's logic, which is how to create um, a valid argument. You know, the study of the principles and criteria of, you know, valid inference and demonstration, if you want to get technical about it. Um, epistemology, which is the study of knowledge and how we acquire knowledge. Ayn Rand actually wrote a very good book about that. Um, uh, Ayn Rand is not a dirty word anymore, by the way. People uh, get out there and read some of her stuff. Uh, the philosophy of aesthetics as well. That will be the study of art and beauty, because what's the point of having all this knowledge if we can't have art and beauty? Then, of course, everyone's non-favorite, politics, which is the study of political rights, uh, the study of government, and the role of citizens. My favorite portion being the role of citizens. And then ethics, I guess, um, the study of morality and how one should live life. So I think those six would be the main themes running through philosophy. 
Uh, you said, who were the first philosophers? Hmm. <laughs> Not sure anyone could answer that question. But I suppose it was anyone who decided that there had to be more to cosmic creation than attributing everything to some god or another. You know, the first people to want a rational explanation to existence and the world around them. It could have been more advanced cavemen, for all we know, scrog, bog and dog sitting there going, where stone come from? Did God made stone? Maybe something else made stone. Who knows? The first mention we in the West would know about would be the group known as the pre-Socratic philosophers. That would be pre-Socrates. I believe they were the ones who formally questioned the nature of everything. Where did it come from? How was it made? Could it be described mathematically? How could plurality in nature be explained? And was there a primary principle, a basic building block, a material from which all things were made? And since all things grow and change, what determined the principle of change? And why is Socrates the greatest? Hmm. Well, he was the one who said an unexamined life is not worth living. An unexamined life is not worth living. And I think that sums up the major themes, doesn't it? So when was he around? Uh, 469 to 399 before Common Era. He is, of course, acknowledged as one of the wisest men that ever lived. And the funny thing is, he never wrote down any of his thoughts. Anything we know about him, we know from his students and his contemporaries, um, Plato, Xenophon, uh, Aristophanes. I can't think of any others right now, sorry. So we honestly don't know much about him. Um, we do know he was not very good looking. We do know he served as a soldier in the Peloponnesian War, which, which didn't go well for Athens, um, where, you know, Socrates is from. He lived in near poverty. We know he had three sons and he had those with a much younger woman, the saucy old devil. Uh, we also know that uh, in his later life, he fell out with the Athenian authorities. And why did he do that? Well, he did that because Athens had become a very decadent state. It was a little obsessed with wealth and um, physical beauty and rewriting history to favor a more romantic, noble expression of itself. Um, Socrates was a very outspoken critic of this way of life. So in 399 before Common Era, the state brought him to trial and charged him with disrespecting religion and corrupting the youth with his revolutionary ideas and all the usual crap the authorities make up when you tell the truth and call them on their rubbish. So he was sentenced to death by poisonous drink. Wow. He had the opportunity, by the way, to flee into exile. But I guess by that time he was so disenchanted with everyone and everything, he actually opted to drink the poison and then went on to continue his pontifications in heaven. Why, though, is he considered the greatest philosopher of all time? Hmm. Perhaps it was because before Socrates came along, Philosophers examined only the natural world, the world around them, the world outside them. But Socrates shifted the emphasis to the human experience, the inner perception. And he taught us that in order for a person to be wise, 
he needed a good dose of self-honesty and he needed to be willing to better understand himself. He believed people should concentrate on developing the self and not focus on material things. He urged us to understand the difference between acting good and actually being good. So perhaps it was because of this new and unique way he approached consciousness, knowledge and morality that gave him the title greatest philosopher of all time because it changed the way we see and use philosophy forever. So good on you, Socrates. And here's a quote from him, the man himself. Somebody else probably wrote down because he didn't write down anything. One of my favorite quotes, actually. Let him who would move the world first move himself. And if we were to translate that in today's lingo, it would be, don't just sit there and gawk, get up and walk your talk. Well, good on you, Socrates. He really was the bee's knees. So hopefully I have answered all the questions from my philosophy students there. I hope I did. If I didn't, no doubt you will write to me and tell me. And we will go ahead and review my answers. Okay. I think we're doing very well for time here. So what have we got next? What have we got next? Ah, yes. Now it's time for Tarot A Go Go. Yay. A little shenaniganer with the major arcana. Again, we're using the Rider Waite deck. And today's card is number six, The Lovers. Ah, what a sweet little card. Or is it? Mm, I've got one sip left here. Let me take that. Mm. All right, let's take a look at this card. Number six, the lovers. We have a naked man. And we have a naked woman. And they're under the benevolent gaze of what appears to be an archangel. The woman is standing by the tree of knowledge. The one with the apples. And the man is standing by the tree of life. And there's a sacred mountain between them. It's peaked directly under the archangel. The man is looking at the woman, but the woman isn't looking at the man. She appears to be looking at the archangel. So, so far we've got apples, snakes, sexuality, forbidden knowledge, archangels. Sounds like a jolly good time to me. Now, let's examine some of the themes here. Nakedness. Aha. Well, of course, being sky clad, it represents transparency, appearing without disguise. Some say that true magic cannot be done unless one is naked. Bearing our true selves to the divine cosmos. Here I am, divine creator. Here I am. Naked is the day I was born, but with a bit more hair in some places. I will not attempt to hide anything from you. I will reveal my true self to you. Now, when we look at this card, the first thing everyone thinks of is sexual union. Because not in the Rider Waite deck, but other decks, they really emphasize um, the size of the man's willy. Uh, but this card is not necessarily about sexual union, although it can be. And if it is, I assure you, it's going to be a jolly good romp for you. But this card speaks to all types of relationships and unions. It's about attraction, offers, 
new relationships or the maturing and expansion of established associations. I look at this card and it reminds me of well, it feels like mutual support, sincerity, creation of new relationships based on trust, making healthy choices, reviewing relationship relationships and making adjustments. So we often pick this card when we're faced with making choices. Shall I commit? Is this the right person? Is this the right job? Is this the right committee? Is this the right path? The lovers asks you to consider your choices carefully. Are you ready to enter the next phase of this project? Is it time for a good heart to heart? Is it time to air everything out lovingly and respectfully, but, you know, get it all out, clear the air? This card says, two paths are before me. I must choose wisely. Am I true to my spiritual values? And the card says, think. Think, look within. If I'm not honest with myself, how do I expect to be honest with others? How do I expect others to be honest with me? This card says, never shall I choose popularity over integrity. This card says, may my devotions guide my emotions. The question we're often asked in tarot is, so what's the reverse meaning of any card? It's a hard one because it doesn't necessarily always mean the exact opposite of if the card is right side up. Tarot isn't something you can learn from a book. You can't just throw cards and go, oh, on page six, it says this. On page seven, it says that. But in general, if you get this card upside down, then you have relationship problems. And there is a lack of honesty there. And you need to clear the air. And don't make a decision until you have done so, because chances are you'll make the wrong decision. Relationships, when the card is reversed, need to be analyzed and you must choose wisely and remain true to your spiritual values and to your path. Hmm. A lovely card, as all cards are lovely in their own way. Number six, the lovers. All righty. Now, what do we do now? What we usually do now is a little pat of poetry. Because, folks, after a hard day shamaning, I like nothing better than to come home, put my feet up, have a nice cup of tea or a small drinky poo, and write non-peer-reviewed, really bad poetry. Because people, why would you want Shakespeare and literary prowess when you can have me, Cosmic Arnie, and a whole lot less? Now, I have a confession to make. It has been a very, very busy week. I have been run ragged, and I haven't really had any free time, so I haven't been able to write a poem. So instead, I'm going to read to you one of my favorite poems from my childhood. I did actually have a childhood, and it's by a chap called Edward Lear. Edward Lear wrote what we commonly call nonsense poetry, and he was alive from 1812 to 1888. 
This one is called The Courtship of the Yongi Bongi Bo. And I have never been able to get through this poem without bursting into laughter. Hopefully today will be the first time. So for Poetry Corner today, I bring you The Courtship of the Yongi Bongi Bo by Edward Lear. Thank you very much. On the coast of Coromandel, where the early pumpkins blow, in the middle of the woods lived the Yongi Bongi Bo. Two old chairs and half a candle, one old jug without a handle. These were all his worldly goods. In the middle of the woods, these were all his worldly goods of the Bongi Bongi Bo, of the Yongi Bongi Bo. Once among the bong trees walking, where the early pumpkins blow, to a little heap of stones came the Yongi Bongi Bo. There he heard a lady talking to some milk-white hens of Dorking. <gasps> Tis the Lady Jingly Jones on that little heap of stones. Sits the Lady Jingly Jones, said the Yongi Bongi Bo, said the Yongi Bongi Bo. Lady Jingly, Lady Jingly, sitting where the pumpkins blow, will you come and be my wife, said the Yongi Bongi Bo. I am tired of living singly, on this coast so wild and shingly. I'm a-weary of my life. If you'll come and be my wife, quite serene would be my life, said the Yongi Bongi Bo, said the Yongi Bongi Bo. On this coast of Coromandel, shrimps and watercresses grow. Prawns are plentiful and cheap, said the Yongi Bongi Bo. You shall have my chairs and candle and my jug without a handle. Gaze upon the rolling deep. Fish is plentiful and cheap. And the sea, my love, is deep, said the Yongi Bongi Bo, said the Yongi Bongi Bo. Lady Jingly answered sadly, and her tears began to flow. Your proposal comes too late, Mr. Yongi Bongi Bo. I would be your wife most gladly, and here she twirled her fingers madly. But in England I've a mate. Yes, you've asked me far too late, for in England I've a mate, Mr. Yongi Bongi Bo. Oh, Mr. Yongi Bongi Bo. Mr. Jones, his name is Handel, Handel Jones, Esquire and Co. Dorking fowls delights to send, Mr. Yongi Bongi Bo. Oh, keep your chairs and candle. And your jug without a handle. I can merely be your friend. Should my Jones more dorking send, I will give you three, my friend. Yes, Mr. Bongi Yongi O. Yes, Mr. Yongi Bongi Bo. Though you've such a tiny body, and your head so large doth grow, though your hat may blow away, Mr. Yongi Bongi Bo, though you're such a hoddy doddy, Yet I wish that I could moddy, by the words I need, I must say, will you please just go away? That's all I have to say, Mr. Yongi Bongi Ho, Mr. Yongi Bongi Bo. Down the slippery slopes of myrtle, where the early pumpkins blow, to the calm and silent sea fled the Yongi Bongi Bo. There, beyond the Bay of Girtle, lay a large and lively turtle. You're the cove, he said for me. On your back beyond the sea, turtle, you shall carry me, said the Yongi Bongi Bo, 
That's what was said by the Yonky Bonky Bo. Through the silent roaring ocean did the turtle swiftly go. Holding fast upon his shell rode the Yonky Bonky Bo. With a sad primeval motion towards the sunset isles of Boshan, still the turtle bore him well, holding fast upon his shell. Lady Jingly Jones, farewell, sang the Yonky Bonky Bo, sang the Yonky Bonky Bo. From the coast of Coromandel did that lady never go. On that heap of stones she mourns for the Yonghi Bongi Bo. On that coast of Coromandel, in his jug without a handle, still she weeps and daily moans. On that little heap of stones to her dorking hens, she moans, she moans for the Yonghi Bongi Bo. She moans for the Yonghi Bongi Bo. Well, folks, you can't say we don't provide you with variety here on the metaphysical martini show. I mean, who else is going to read you the whole ballad of the courtship of the Yongi Bongi Bo? Come on, you know, hope you appreciated it. I really enjoyed that one. I love Edward Lear. So let's have a little time check here. Do we have time for more questions? Well, you know, we don't. Oh, my gosh, we're about two minutes to the hour. So I'm just going to have to say... My darlings, I think that's it for this week. We've used up a whole hour of linear time, an hour we will never get back. I hope you enjoyed listening to the show as much as I enjoyed recording it. Today's real-life martini was carefully crafted by yours truly using Blavod Vodka, a perfectly decent little vodka, which is as black as the night due to a tasteless extract from the bark of acacia trees. The perfect tipple, I say, for All Hallows' Eve. Now, I have no affiliation with Blavod Vodka or any other distiller for that matter, but if anyone else there wants to sponsor me, I'm all ears and cheers. I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Music